Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and with me today in studio, Ricardo Benavides. Ricardo, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jeremy. How are you doing? It's good to be here. I'm. I appreciate. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming down. Um, you know, last week we had a little uh, technical difficulties. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, you know, the. Uh, microphones weren't one my microphone wasn't plugged in all the way so it didn't pick up it's it just a it's you know it's what it's you go one through of those things right it's what you go through when you yeah. have a podcast i guess yeah. so uh yeah first of all if you could like rate review share uh all that good stuff for this podcast we would appreciate it as always um you know we're trying to find a cure for paralysis out here but yeah and he's directing that at me everybody <laughs> no no um you know i'm yeah i'm uh you know we have another incredible guest this week but first ricardo i wanted to uh tell you uh, i so i they've been doing paving in front of my house in the middle of the night like last night it was from 7 p.m until like 6 a.m non-stop just like all you could hear big trucks grinding doing all kinds of stuff so I basically slept until about 1 a.m. and then I've been up ever since. So I'm like firing on all cylinders right now. But uh, in the middle of the night, I woke up and watched this Netflix uh, new show called Painkiller that was insane. And I recommend it for everybody. Like we've had a lot of addiction problems in our family, you know, over the years. And me and you, man, what are you talking about? Our family? (laughs) <laughs> anyway oh my god uh, <laughs> i never thought that this would come out <laughs> anyway um it's it's just about how uh every purdue purdue problems. pharma basically uh pulled the biggest crime in american history and getting millions of people addicted to and they're still getting opioids and still getting away with it. anyway um, go check it out though. It's, Is it it's, a docu series? It's docu-drama? no, it's act. It's like acted out. Like Matthew McConaughey plays. Oh, okay. Or not Matthew McConaughey. Sorry, Matthew Broderick uh, plays um, Richard Sackler, the head of Purdue Pharma, and these guys are just evil, man. They like concocted a way to to convince people that yeah they were it wasn't addictive, and then when it when they did get addicted to it, it was like well they were on other stuff too. Yeah. And they're drug addicts, so what are you going to do? It's just like, was the most disgusting. No moral compass. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was uh, that was my highlight of the day so far, <laughs> up until now at least, getting to record with you. But um, yeah, I, I def- definitely recommend that. that uh, it's a like a six-part limited but, series. So. You know, the thing is, is that a lot of people with uh, your injury are easily you know need oh, a yeah. bit of pain relief and you know they pump people full so just think of all the people over the last well you've been injured 25 years right yeah that got hooked on these opioids and other drugs because the pharmaceutical companies pumped them into you instead of actually looking for a real cure right and i you know i remember at the time of my injury in 1998 and they were that's like right when this drug miracle was coming drug, out right? yeah, yeah the miracle drug was coming out and they uh you know it, it they prescribed me all kinds of stuff but i just didn't like the way i felt if i was on any kind of like pharmaceuticals like that 
So I, you know, at least any pain relieving stuff, like I don't like, I feel like my body, I'm already not in control of my body. So it's, it would, if I was taking something like that, it would just make me feel worse. You don't worse. want to numb anymore. Sensations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's how I feel when I get injured. Right. So, you know, I've, you know, had some knee injuries and stuff like that. And doctors have said, Hey, do you want some of this? And I'll go, no, you know why? Cause I don't know if it's getting better. You know, I'd rather feel some pain yeah. and understand what's going on than numb it. Know you're yeah. alive, man. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, uh, anyway, transitioning now to our, uh, our amazing guest this week, Ricardo. Um, this gentleman's name is Rob Costa. Um, I first came across him at, uh, he just, like, makes these really powerful uh, posts on Instagram talking about you know, I mean, he just keeps it real about this injury. It's not like all, you know, fairy tales and rainbows or whatever. It's, you know, he talks about the, the tough stuff, but also recognizes that what, you know, what he's going through, I, I don't know how to say it, I guess. It, you know, he, he recognizes, like, the gains he makes and then also, like, will be like, you know, this fourth year, it sucked because he just had his uh, life day last last month in July. Twenty fourth, twenty eighth. I think. Tw- I thought it was twenty eighth, but I could. It's okay. Twenty something. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. Anyway, so he, uh, yeah, he posted on his life day about you know like basically with a, like his back to the camera and a, like flipping off the camera, and he was just like this. Yeah, this is my message to year four of uh, paralysis. Hopefully, year five will be better. Or whatever and. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the guys—I I don't know. You guys are gonna get to hear this. I thought it was a great conversation. We went—we went for like an hour. Like we yeah. were, and I—we probably could have gone for another like yeah. thirty or forty minutes. Well, you know what I really enjoyed about the conversation is that, um, you know, a lot of times um, people deal with it and they have this—you um, know—they find this inner strength, right? Well, he had that already. I think is yeah. what I got. From Sounded him. like, and that. he was already. Um, I mean, you know, I have two boys. He has twin boys that are now eight, I guess. I yeah. Think, if I remember right. But, yeah, there were um, four at the age of yeah. uh, four years old when he got injured. Yeah, and one of the things is everybody always tells me what good kids I have. They're like 30 years old now, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're kind men. And um, I think that happens because you nurture them that way, right? You know? Yeah. And I think that's the kind of dad he is. And it was very touching his stories that he told and um and i don't and i think he was that way before his injury i don't think his injury um made him that way yeah well there's this passionate you know yeah but i think i think his kids have some of that you know maybe that dna where they want to help people because they see the struggles that that he goes through well i bring it up in the in the interview about um, him, he made a video of his, uh, of him out blowing leaves in their, in his backyard and his, um, you know, his little seven or eight year old son out there with him, like wearing one of those backpack, uh, leaf blowers and, and helping him out. And he's like, you know, my, he's like, my kids have stepped up so much more than, you know, than I wanted to make them at this point. He's like, we, we kind of talked about, the line between like spoiling kids too much and like putting too much on them. And, um, he said his kids are just amazing though. And they sound amazing. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. And he, he actually wrote an article, um, 
or a blog post in this, uh, it's, I think it's called Spinalpedia. I'm going to, I'm going to attach it to the, to the show notes so that everybody can check it out. But I mean, it was powerful, man. Like I about teared up a couple times reading it just about how he, before he got injured, he knew that his like contribution to the world was going to be that he was going to raise three amazing children and, that's he just was quickly realized like after his injury quickly realized that's still his Number goal in goal, life yeah, yeah, yeah so it was uh it was a really touching touching blog post and i hope anybody that's listening goes and checks that out so um but yeah we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it on the other side and we'll we'll just get to uh the interview with rob real quick here good, thought it was a good one uh it's, it's a little longer than most of them like we just the yeah, me and him were we're really vibing so uh, hope you guys enjoy it, and we will talk to you on the other side. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are so excited to speak with our next guest, Robert Costa. Uh, Robert is a father, a husband, an entrepreneur, a spinal cord injury survivor, and an adaptive athlete. Uh, Robert, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Jeremy. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no, I really, uh, I, you know, I've seen a few posts of yours that really like piqued my interest and made me want to want to reach out. And it's just, you know, uh, things, you know, things get away from you after a while and then you'll pop back up in my timeline. And I'm like, I got to reach out to him. So I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. And uh, yeah, you know, so, you know, to kind of start out with uh, Robert, I just wanted to know, and do you go by Rob or Robert? Which one do you prefer? Uh, it doesn't. My, my mom yells at me. Robert when she's mad so probably Rob but it doesn't matter all right well Rob uh yeah you know for anybody who uh you hasn't been maybe following along on your story uh you know how did you actually suffer a spinal cord injury uh July 28th 2019 uh dirt bike accident um (laughs) nothing special I don't have any crazy story I just fell over uh, you know, just must have fallen right. Wasn't going that fast. Wasn't doing anything I shouldn't have been doing. Just landed right. And um, was it instantaneous? You know, uh, I actually sat up. I was a fr- I was at a practice track, a local practice track, and I was the first one out on the track. And I knew a couple of guys. My brothers were right behind me. So as soon as I hit the ground, my thought was get off the track. You know, um, I actually sat up. I sat up, fell over on my left side, and the wind was knocked out of me. I was assuming, you know, I fell over. I was just banged up. The wind was knocked out of me, you know. Give it another go. Get up. Get off the track. And I don't even know if my head got off the dirt the second time I tried getting up, you know. Wow. Bad day. Just just, just not a good day. Um, whole family was down at the track. My wife's my, my wife, my kids, my sister-in-law, her kids, my brother, two both brothers. Um, wow. so everybody, I didn't want around me to see that, uh, but they all stepped up. I mean, I'm super proud of how my brothers acted, how my father acted, how my wife acted quick ambulance ride and med flight later. I was, uh, stopped my journey, you know? Wow. Wow. So where did they, um, where did they take you to for, uh, rehab and, and I guess, sort to get you kind of. Uh, close to Boston. So they flew me up to Boston Medical Center. Um, I spent, you know, better part of a week, seven, 10 days 
uh, there. I think it was seven days in the ICU, um, a couple days not, and then they sent me over to Spalding Rehabilitation Center. Um, I did exactly a month at Spalding. Um, Spalding was awesome. OT was awesome. My PT, uh, <laughs> she was absolutely awesome. She was the one that started me off with the, you know, um, just that you can't quit. Just, she wouldn't let me quit at anything. Just push, 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 push. Uh, so all that was good. Um, no complaints there. I did. That is where I started to learn how much of a disaster the, the medical field and the insurance companies were going to be for me moving forward. Um, right. you know, but, but all in all, it was, <laughs> I mean, it's, it was a good experience, I guess. I, you know, I've heard some horror stories and yeah. I got out. Okay. You know? Wow. Wow. And what, so what level injury did you suffer? Uh, a T8, T8 complete. Okay, man, that's uh, like just the mindset of like, yeah, like to even to think, you know, you hit the ground and you just pop up like instinctually, like I got to get off the track because there's more, more bikes coming right behind me. That's, um, that's crazy that your body was still able to do that. Um, you know, I, that's the thing I haven't horror about. You hit the ground, you don't think spinal cord injury, you know, I was thinking get off the track and, I spend zero time dwelling on it, uh, but I know there's been instances where I'm like, man, what if you just laid on the ground? <laughs> you know, what no, if you just waited for help, dude? You know? Um, yeah, I just had uh, Diane Bitkiss on the show a few weeks ago, and she's from out in the Boston area as well. And yeah, she said like she fell off of her roof onto kind of onto her uh, back patio or something like yep. that and um and suffered a spinal cord injury but she was by herself didn't have her phone nearby was trying to like get to her phone and was moving around and stuff and she always thinks the same thing like what if i would have just laid flat and or somebody would have been there with me and yeah. a call right away um yeah you know, would have had such a such a severe injury but oh man like all the what ifs right like, yeah, all I'm the sure what if, you know <laughs> all the what ifs you know the hardest part about that day was uh, my wife and I have twin boys. They had turned four the week before, um, and we actually bought them a little dirt bike for their birthday. So that was their first time going to the racetrack. They were not on their bikes, but there was a little mini bike track there. And I said, hey, you can go, you know, watch dad and your uncles ride and check out the mini track and we'll start coming to the mini track. Uh, you know, so that was their real first experience with, a dirt bike track is dad getting pulled off in an ambulance thrown in a helicopter and they'll still see me 45 days later when I come home, you know? How, um, so it sounds like, you know, uh, dirt bikes are kind of a big part of your family in general, like leading up to this, um, you know, how were your, are your sons still, um, interested in dirt bikes and riding dirt bikes and stuff? Or did that kind of put a, uh, the, 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 the dirt bike disappeared real quick. <laughs> uh, there's that. Um, I was against it at first, you know, um, to this day, I'm not scared of dirt bikes. I would get on a dirt. I would do adaptive dirt bike riding today. Uh, there's reasons why I haven't yet or haven't pursued it. I sort of wanted to teach them, you know, I mean, you get back on the horse, you know, uh, you know, life throws you curveballs sometimes deal with it and, get back on the horse. Uh, 
I respect her decision. I, I shouldn't say hers. It was a group decision, but my wife just wasn't ready for it, you know, which, <laughs> you know, we focus a lot on our injury, but, it, you know, I mean, my I wife's a complete rock. What she dealt with at that time, it's, hey, yeah, get rid of the dirt bike, you know. Um, we got him a couple little four-wheelers, bomb around the backyard on four-wheelers and stuff, but. There you go. That's Lucky enough, they're old enough now. They're into base. They're eight now. They're into baseball and basketball and all that good stuff. So they're content. We just don't bring it up. You know. Yeah, there you go. They got plenty of stuff to keep them occupied. Plenty of stuffs going on. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Um. Yeah. You know. So I I did want to touch on, um. You know what, the rehab process was like because you know I mean I got injured when I was eighteen. So I'm you know a single guy still in high school. Um you know, what's that, I guess, what's the pressure kind of feel, feel like knowing that you're, you know, the husband and the father of, of three children, um, you know, were you like, how were you able to kind of compartmentalize maybe like to, to focus on yourself? Cause you got, I mean, that's a time of so much healing, right? Like going through the I rehab mean, process. It, it It's hard. I, you know, there's some dark days. Um, Coming home for me, leaving rehab was, I, I don't know how to express how hard that was. Um, not even just to be a dad, but just, the community was so awesome to me. Um, I mean, friends were renovating my house, you know, putting a ramp on my house, redoing my bathroom. Um, I, <laughs> I had a friend buy me a vehicle that I could drive when the time came. Um, I, so going from being someone who never asked for anything, um, you know, I believe you want something to work for, you know, to, to now I, <laughs> I need this, I need that. I, you know, and just be selfish. It, it, it was super hard. Um, my motivation, I guess, was I, my kids, you know, I mean, it, it show them you get back on the horse, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how to word it other than you don't give up. You you just, we're not allowed to say can't in my household. I like, you that. know, they're not allowed to say, I can't do this. Right. Might not be able to, you know, you might not know how to do it right now, but we'll figure it out. You know, how yeah. far can we get? Let's figure this out. That was just my motivation. You know, uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Life, yeah. life's got to go on. You know, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pretty. Right. Coming to terms with the fact that my kids were going to watch me fail a lot. <laughs> a lot. There was no hiding what was going to happen. I, I mean, it was hard, but, you know, hopefully there's lessons there for them somewhere, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do your sons, uh, your daughter's a little bit older than your sons, right? Yeah, we have a, a 11-year-old daughter and, and twin eight-year-old boys yeah so do the the eight-year-olds do they remember pretty clearly your injury and um i mean do so they july 28th that? was my no th this year was tough for me uh july 28th was four years for me um they turned eight on the 20th uh you know so the first year i was injured it's you know like it was on my mind i've been injured a year you know um the last couple of years, it, you know, it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, whatever, you know, I mean, like, forget about it. 
uh, this year it hit me, you know, probably months ago that now I've been paralyzed for half their life. You know, yeah. I did get to teach them how to ride a bike. I get the, did get to teach them how to throw baseballs and all that stuff. But I mean, the odds of them remembering me walking right now are probably zero. You know, they see pictures. They see pictures, but they don't remember dad carrying them around on their shoulder on his shoulders or any of that stuff. You know, it's all but gone now, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I saw uh, one of your Instagram posts where you were out um, with a leaf blower trying to like blow off your backyard and one of your sons yeah. was out there yeah. with you. Uh, with the backpack yeah. uh, blower on and uh, like it just it seemed you know uh, it's very cool like how you're you know kind of teaching them like hey we you know this is the stuff we have to do regardless like I'm going to be out here in my wheelchair blowing off the, the backyard yeah. if, if need be so you know and yeah anyhow and then the fact they want to help you and and uh, kind of you know provide you yeah it's it's that's probably the best part to come out of it and you know even pre-injury I, I you know I would I can remember having conversations with my wife or people in general where every generation, you know, you want your kids to do better than you did, um, have more than you did, be smarter than you were. Uh, and when I, we first had kids, I started wondering, you know, a lot, did, are we at a point of diminished returns? Meaning are we, am I spoiling my kids so bad that, you know, you're not teaching them valuable life lessons. Uh, we have goats and chickens. So, you know, every morning, just part of my routine, pre-injury, I'd get up, let the goats out, let the chickens out, you know, feed them, water them, all that type of stuff. Uh, I never thought to ask them to do that. It was just part of my routine. You know, trash barrels went down on Friday. Dad's got it. You know, uh, leaves fall, you got to go rake the leaves. I mean, all that stuff. Is figure outable for me, but as we know, this injury is just a complete time suck that I can spend an hour doing this or it's, Hey boys, let's go. And it's only going to take five minutes. Um, so they help out around the house a lot. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm asking them to do too much, but as much as they complain about it, I also have some really cool conversations for, with them where they're super proud of what they're doing, you know? So yeah. not just them. My daughter is thrown into that category too. I keep on saying the boys, but she does a lot, you know? And that, for me as a parent, that's probably the best part of this injury is that, you know, it's it's teaching them they have to contribute and and what comes from contributing and doing a job well done, all that type of stuff, you know? Yeah, no doubt. You know, I obviously I don't have any kids, but um, I you know, I have a bunch of nephews and a niece, and yeah. I feel like you know they all were born after my uh, after my injury. But you know, I feel like just growing up and like being around people in, in wheelchairs with disabilities, whatever the case, I feel like it makes them more compassionate kids. You know, than you know they're not doing the same some of the same. I mean, they all do some dumb stuff, right? But yeah. Uh, it's part of growing up, but yeah, I just, it seems like they're more, um, yeah, I don't know, more compassionate or more, uh, hey, super proud parents this year. My daughter and one of our boys both got anti-bullying awards. Nice. It was cool. And they both, um, both boys, um, 
you know, get pulled out of class because they're friends with a couple other young boys that both have some learning issues going on and stuff like that. And it, it, you know, it makes me proud that as a first grader, I don't think I would have been grown to this kid that doesn't speak in school or has X learning of disability and they're right in there. So yeah, it uh, is cool how they gravitate to that stuff and just accept everybody for what it is, you know? That's great. That's great. Yeah. You should pat yourself on the back for that for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, so switching gears a, a little bit, Rob, I know um, a lot of your posts and things um, are showing you either, you know, road racing or kind of working out, getting ready to do some road racing. Um, you know, what, when did you first, you know, your four years removed from just over four years out from your injury, when did you first kind of um, take a look at adaptive sports and, and some stuff that you'd be able to participate in like that? Um, You know, the dirt bike thing, I was never there was never any aspirations of being a professional dirt bike rider or any of that type of stuff i was in and out a little bit i did jujitsu for a while mma for a while i always had a home gym uh was in construction so physical job um and i'm just a fan of doing hard things um actually the year before my injury or the year of my injury 2019 my wife was contemplating running a marathon she was going to do the disney marathon um i was not a runner i would bookend you know do a run before and after some of my morning workouts um but like a mile i mean i i was a runner by no stretch of the imagination but i told her if she went and did the marathon i'd do it with her um she called my card. So we were going to do the marathon a couple months after I got injured. Um, obviously that got put on hold, but while I was laying in Spalding, um, knowing nothing about anything in the adaptive world, I, uh, I said, well, I'm going to do the Boston marathon. You know, I just made it a goal in the hospital just to give myself a goal. Um, couple months Post-injury, I was introduced to a kid that was a three-time Ironman world champion in the hand cycle division, and he lent me a race wheelchair, and, you know, it was something physical, and uh, I was just going to go after it, you know? Nice, nice. And so how many uh, – I know you've, um, I think, done the Boston Marathon a couple of times now. Is that right? Boston three times. This year was <laughs> 20 – 2021, April of 2021 was my first road race, which was a marathon. Um, and I qualified for Boston. So because of COVID and all that fun stuff, there was a marathon in October and April. Um, so I've done three, three Bostons in two years. That's impressive, man. And that quick yeah. after your injury, like that, that's great that you were able to get, get right on there and, and start training and everything. Um, you know, what, um, have you tried any other adaptive sports or that was kind of what you just threw all your focus into because you wanted to be able to participate in the marathon with your wife? Um, well, rewind a second, actually real quick. I, we ended up doing the Disney marathon. They, oh, yeah. um, do something called the dopey challenge, which we decided, I decided for us, she was happy. Um, it was going to be her first marathon. I had done a couple more in the meantime. Um, 
We did a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, a marathon over four days. We actually got to go down the following year and did that. So my wife's first marathon was on day four of the Dopey Challenge after doing the uh, first first three races. So that was pretty fun. Um, but no, got started getting the kid that got me into uh, road races was a triathlon guy. So he was swimming and biking and, you know, just I'm watching him and it hit me. Well, if he can do it, I cannot, you know, um, started doggy paddling across the pool, all that type of stuff. Learned to swim, jumped on a hand bike. Um, I mean, adaptive CrossFit to a point, I guess. Um, rode me some snowmobiles, have a four wheeler. Um, the, you know, back to the dirt bike thing. I, I did want to get on a dirt bike and I still sort of do, but the tough part with, and it's my ignorance towards a lot of these sports too, is jumping in my race chair to me is freedom. I don't, I don't need anyone's help. I can literally just open the garage door, jump in my race chair and go for a run. Can do the same with a bike. Um, I think what slowed me down in trying to experience some other stuff is you need somebody, you know, if I get a dirt bike, I need somebody to help me get on the bike. I need somebody to transfer the bike. I need so you know, uh, what I like about that stuff is I can just do it by myself, you know? Yeah, no, totally. That makes a lot of sense. I, and I was going to bring up when you were talking about, uh, you know, getting back on, trying to get back into dirt bike riding. I know, um, Jesse Nelson, who I've had on the show, back yep. you know, a couple years ago um who was a professional dirt bike rider motocross guy he um is getting into at least at the time a couple years ago was getting into the side-by-sides um adapting yeah. side-by-side yeah. racing so that might be might be an outlet yeah. to get that get that race uh that race motor yeah. motorized racing into your the, the bit. yeah the dirt bike store brought that up to me as soon as i was injured you know why don't you trade in the bikes and stuff but you know, we. I think the accessibility of going for a run or going for a bike ride, um, to me, it's just finding something hard to do. I think, you know, I mean, riding a dirt bike was therapy. It was literally therapy. Jumping in a race chair is literally therapy. Uh, you know, the competitive side of it is cool. Um, but I think... But, <laughs> You know, people call it the zone or the flow state or, you know, just being able to get there and on my terms. You know, I want to do it today. I don't have to wait for dad. I don't have to wait for one of my brothers. I'm just in that spot right now. Whereas if I can do it by myself, I'd much rather do that than bug everybody else around. You know, I'm going to need help with something at some point in time. So I'd rather save those favors, I think. You know? I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. Sticking with the, uh, with the, the biking, um, and the, the, uh, I, I saw that on one of your Instagram posts as well that you, um, the Kelly brush foundation, um, yeah. if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, that they, had, yeah, that they had kind of helped you get like a chair that was exactly like down to the millimeter design yep. for you. That to was use. the, Kelly Brush, um, my first, my first race chair was, you know, 
from a friend. Um, and then I actually found one secondhand. Um, and a race chair is just like the chairs we sit in every day, but built for us, you know. Um, so these weren't, they weren't built for me. One was too small, but I made it work. One was a little too big, but you make it work. Um, Kelly Brush actually helped me. My, my first brand new, any type of adaptive equipment, uh, helped me get a new race chair this year. Yeah. Um, super pumped. Uh, went the whole back with him pump this route, route this year, uh, which has been a complete disaster. Whole bunch of surgeries. Um, so about a month out from Boston, I was, <laughs> I was actually cleared to get back in my race chair this April and, uh, two weeks before April, I mean, before the race, uh, I got hit by a car out my brand new race chair. So I actually don't even have it anymore. Oh. Waiting for another one to get built. Wow, man. How, and you didn't, su did you suffer any injuries? No, from she threw me for a good loop, you know, spun me around, flipped me over a couple of times, destroyed the chair, uh, just some bumps and bruises. And now I got to go deal with another insurance company to try to get my race chair back. You know, uh, my God, man. Gee, well, thank God you're okay. You know, yeah. You're injured from it, but geez, that is crazy, man. Um, so wait, I mean, yeah. What what's the timeline? You're just fighting insurance to get them to to replace uh, to replace. Ooh, yeah, yeah. A couple months waiting for insurance. Um, Carbon Bike USA built the chair that Kelly Brush helped me get. Um, they're they're building another one now. Hopefully, I have it within the month. You know, oh, so. awesome, man. Well, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed for that for sure. Yeah. With everything we got going on, that's the least of my worries. You know. <laughs> I have my old chair still, so I can get out, go for a run. Without a couple hours ago, so. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's all good. Um. Yeah. So you know, I I saw that you had linked uh in your Instagram to the uh, spinalpedia dot com's blogs, um, and yes. that you had actually written a guest blog on their website, uh, and it's about being a wheelchair dad, essentially. Um, yeah. I think that might have even been the, the the title of it. Um, you know what? I, it was so powerful. I'm going to link directly to it on the show notes as well, so everybody can go check it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was such a powerful you know article that you wrote. It, Thank you. Was it difficult to open up about some of that stuff for you, or were you? Uh, my biggest complaint is that I couldn't have wrote written more. Um, I loved life pre-injury, uh, loved life. Um, I had, I had my life figured out, you know, um, I had purpose. I had a little construction company. Um, I was enriching other people's lives, which was making my life better. Post-injury, you have to be so selfish. I, I was, you know, I was unsure of how to make people's lives better, but my purpose with my kids didn't change, you know, it was just the approach changed. Right. The approach changed, you know, uh, it's it in to this day, four years later, I, which is nothing to some people, but still trying to figure it out, you know, still trying to figure it out. But the, the thought process is still the same, you know, yeah. um, going to make the world better the way i'm going to do it is by raising three awesome kids i love and that so, i love that 
uh, you know, I love I love the uh, the the message of be the example that you try to try to push on your kids, and I think that's such a we great say it all the time. It's my favorite, you know. That's the such a great thing. You know, and they check me. They check me with it sometimes. You know, um, I wake up in the morning. I want to complain. I want to do this. You know, everything takes forever, and it's my kids are staring at me. You know. Yeah. You know, how can I tell them to go clean their room, pick up their stuff, not whine about silly little things if I'm doing it? So it's, you know, it keeps right. me in check, you know? No, that, that's that's amazing. That's really, and, and it, like I said, I really encourage everybody to go check it out. We'll have it linked in, in the show notes here. So, um, what, and, you know, just off the top of your head, like what's, I, I'm assuming it's been all positive and people have been, uh, you know, really congratulatory about it but what what's the feedback been like uh after writing that because that's a couple years old now right yeah yeah it was all positive nothing nothing to blame you know a lot of i stole the big the example from somewhere i heard it you know something i actually have a, a t-shirt that says it um you know, people just tell me they love it you know i'm gonna instill it with my kids but it's not just it's it's everything you know but <laughs> with work, you know, when I, when I was doing the whole construction, thing, um, you know, you can't tell somebody to be there at seven o'clock and you show up at seven fifteen. you know, it, it, you know, you want everybody there at seven, you better be there at six 30, you know? Yeah. You know, want someone to stay late. You better be staying late, you know? Right. So. Well, speak, you know, it, 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 oh, go ahead. Sorry. It, it's, it's in everything, you know, work, you know, relationships, your household, just, you know? Yeah. If you want things done a certain way, you best be doing them that way. So, right. you know, no, with I kids staring at you and want, just wanting to be a positive example to them. I mean, it's, it, I say it to them almost as a reminder to myself, you know? Yeah. No, almost as a reminder to myself. That's beautiful. Um, you, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, the, you know, con your, your job, your construction company, um, you know, you're a young entrepreneur when you get injured four years ago. Um, what, what was the process like of getting back to work and, you know, get having your business continue on while you're dealing with all this stuff? continuing getting money generated things like that like i mean that's got to be like a whole nother stress level that um, um a lot of people don't know about um you know with, with this injury so it i mean <laughs> it's funny i i laugh about it i saw um and it's not the case i know doctors and lawyers and all types of different professions that are in chairs but it's it's almost like uh you choose poverty when you get a spinal cord injury you know <laughs> but yeah. At first, I um, mo it, money wasn't a factor for me. I didn't. I mean, money's a ticket to do cool things. It buys you time, I guess. Um, you're either happy with money or happy without money. I don't think money makes you happy or sad. If you're a miserable person now, you're going to be miserable with a million dollars. Um, so as much as it was a tool for money. Um, it also gave me purpose. I really found a ton of purpose from what I did. Uh, some family work with me, 
bunch of close friends, people with families. So I was helping people keep a roof over their head, you know, um, really how I looked at it. I was helping people make their houses better. You know, we developed some good relationships. Um, so a lot of it just took care of itself when I was injured. But on top of that, uh, my father was working with me and a really close friend had been working. Um, and they just took over and didn't miss a beat. They just, you know, I had to send an invoice here and there, write some checks. Um, and they sort of just took over. Uh, fast forward about a year. My older brother came to work. Um, he was a self-employed. He, he was a business owner. Um, you know, we sort of combined forces, I guess. So I, I now sort of just do the paperwork side of things. And, and he runs the job sites and. You know, yeah. we, we just keep the wheels going. Um, it's That's different. I don't. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, my brother's awesome. My father's awesome. You know, friends are awesome. I. <laughs> what I do now, is it, it's, a, you know, I do the least favorite part of what my job used to be. I like being outside. I like being with the guys. I like building stuff. Um, and now I push a keyboard. Um but it keeps a roof over my head, you know, I'm still trying to figure a lot of it out on my end, you know, but we're making it work. No, that was going to be my next question is, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of guys in construction now and they're all like, that's like their, you know, I guess, I don't know, like their favorite part of it is like you said, being outside, being around the guys, yeah. being, you know, building stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah. Like I, I could imagine that that was maybe a little bit of a, of a culture shock going into the, into the office and working on the computer or whatever, sending out. Yeah, it still is. You know, I was offered some jobs while I was in the hospital, you know, we come work with us doing this, doing that. I mean, I can do it. I know how to, you know, I know how to price out a job. I it, whatever, whatever they wanted me to do, but I I was outside, you know, or a, I was inside, but I was building stuff. You know, that's what I like doing. So, right, my right. least favorite question is, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, still sort of trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, Rob, I did want to also, I know we were talking for a minute before we started recording here, but, uh, you let me know that you had done a few stem cell procedures as well. Yeah. And, uh, that's always, uh, you know, intriguing to myself and I, I assume some of the listeners here. So yeah, talk about that. Like, how did that, I guess, come about? Like, where'd you hear about it from? Where did you have to go to get them? Uh, hot topic, right? Yeah. Um, preference. I can only speak to my experience with this because I've heard, you know, stories ranging all over the place. But um, it, I was in when I was in Spalding, I knew I was going to do stem cells. Um, I actually heard Mel Gibson on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about his uncle or father or something a couple of years earlier. And it came to me when I was sitting in Spalding and. I know he went to the stem cell Institute in Panama and had awesome results. He was saying, so like, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm doing. Um, got discharged September of 2019. I went, you know, I started doing the project walk thing right away with rehabbing every day. I have a home gym, had a home gym, had some people help add to my home gym. Um, 
gave myself a couple months, lined up stem cells in Panama, which were going to be umbilical cord stem cells for March of 2020. Some stuff happened around that time. I don't know if you can remember. And I was not allowed to leave this leave the country. Um, the whole COVID lockdowns and everything happened like a week before I was going to take off. Oh my God. That was, um, terrible. That was my plan A. Um, my plan B was in the meantime, I had been on some face, you know, checking out Facebook sites and stuff. And there was a clinic in Minnesota um, that people had been visiting and were given some positive reviews. Um, so to me, that was my plan B. I, uh, I went there in September of 2020. Okay. Uh, first thing I noticed, if I'm being honest with you, is the year before, um, all went along, it was the chills, the heated blanket, the, you know, all summer long, the sweating, the temperature regulation thing. Um, it just disappeared. Literally just disappeared. Um, wow. And the next was bowel, my, my bowel program. Sort of a, this is a tough one for me too, because originally I was doing my bowel program in the morning. As soon as I woke up, uh, I started doing it at night after the kids went to bed. So I don't know if that has something to do with it too, but it went from, you know, hours, some nights to 10, 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah, I definitely noticed some, some muscle recovery, but I was also rehabbing every day. Uh, so I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if it was a magic button or if it was the work I was putting in, in the gym, or and, both. And so this is like a year and a few months after your injury. Then? Yeah, a year and two months later. Okay. Yep. Um, but I was pumped. I mean, to the outside world, I I was still going to Project Walk at the time. And when I brought it up to some of the trainers there, uh, they were like, wow, I, you know, I didn't know this stuff because it's, it's unseen stuff to people, you know? Right. Um, but it was enough of a motivator for me that I still wanted to try the umbilical, umbilical cords in Panama. Um, so that January I went down to Panama. Um, so this is just like a like four months later or whatever. So four months later, four or five months later or something. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> and is there like a recommendation on how often to do stem cell treatments, or is it kind of a? It, it's like with everything. Well, stem cells takes a couple months, so you're told. Takes a couple months to really start working, and you know I can't remember now. It was like six months or nine months later. They've done their thing. Um, Panama was, you know, the what I did in Minnesota was my own stem cells. Okay. Panama was a different thing because I'm, and the way I'm looking at it, my head is I'm flying to a third world country to have some random person take a needle to get my spine. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, I don't know what they're doing. You know, they're telling me it's X, so I'm just going to believe them. Um, so it was a big decision for me. Uh, and I would, uh, it was a lot of money. It was a lot. Um, I did notice things afterwards. Um, I, I would say, 
not all positive. My 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 tone and spasms got a lot worse. Um, I didn't look at it as a bad thing, I guess, though. I looked at it as I was halfway to something awesome or halfway to something horrible. You know, it definitely changed something. Um, I definitely, I had a, two UTIs before I went down there and would take a certain medication. Uh, I got a UTI coming home or after I was home a couple months later, took the same medication and went into anaphylactic shock. So yeah, I think I picked. Yeah, I think I picked all but died on the living room floor. That was a fun day. Um, So I think I picked up an allergy from it. Um, But that wasn't it. I decided to try again. I went to Minnesota again um, in September. No, in August that year, I went back to Minnesota. I wanted to... I think at the time my thought process was the hospitals had told me what I had in two years, I was going to recover or whatever you recovered in two years. That was it. After two years, there was no more recovery. Um, So I got down right after my two year, you know, SEI anniversary or a live day, whatever people are calling it. Um, And, you know, once again, I feel like I picked up a little mobility, a little function from it. Um, but also, again, is IPT every day, you know? So I don't know if it was the accumulation of rehabbing every day. I don't call it rehabbing. It's just PTing, you know, trying to do things I can't do. Um, or the stem cells or both. Uh, the Minnesota, the two times to Minnesota were definitely a positive experience. I would definitely do it again. If someone was questioning it, if they should do it or not, uh, I think I would tell them to do it um, just because I think regret would bug them more than not doing it and thinking they failed or it failed or, you know, right. whatever. Both, both of, you know, they were a good experience. The Panama one's a tough one. Um, I mean, <laughs> never mind the money. Uh, I just didn't see what I noticed from, from the, the cells in the States, you know? Right. You know? And then plus that, that, that must've been a hell of a long travel, you know, traveling down there must've been a heck of a lot more difficult than just going out to Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, you know, just all, it was a lot, you know, it was a lot, you know, you get and down how there. Long, like in Minnesota, how long would you go for just like for the weekend? Was, like how long, what do they have the, you come out for? Um, it was, Three or four days, I, you know, say they they did some like PRP and some prep and stuff like that on Monday. And then you get the cells on Wednesday. You don't want to fly home the same day, you know, go back, relax, go to bed. Uh, so I flew out the next day. Okay. You know, they had a gym there. They had some PTs there where you could exercise with them if you wanted. Nice. You know, it was. And then what, what was about it? the Panama trip? Like how how did that differ in uh like length of stay and Panama was a week, I believe. Um they gave me cells a few times throughout the week, and there was a physical therapist there working with me daily, I believe. Can't quite remember that one. That was a longer trip, though. That yeah. was a longer trip. 
um, just a lot. You're leaving the country, you know? Yeah, for sure. You're leaving wow. the country. Um, and it was a lot of money. It was a lot. Of money. I, I can't remember, but I mean, I think that 30 something thousand dollars, if I'm being honest with you. Wow. What it, did the it, what what did the Minnesota stem cell treatment cost? Seven thousand, I think. Oh wow! So it's a lot cheaper too, and it sounds yeah. like you had way better results from yeah. that than. Yeah, I mean, there's a rabbit hole there. Different set, different cells. People who are interested can reach out or or do their deep dive on. on yeah. Cells and what different cells you know. I, Panama was my plan A. To me, from what I read and the research and. You know, that was the way that was the way to go. But that right. wasn't my experience. Man. Once again, my experience. I've heard yeah. people say different things, you know. Um, the cool part about Minnesota, the most refreshing part for me was uh, I will in the door. Brand new facility. Um, everything's clean. There's a gym right there. Everybody I'm talking to. That is giving me advice on. Just mobility, physicality, just us living. We're people that were in shape, you know, um, which was a positive thing, you know. Yeah. I I didn't have a guy that I could tell was spent the last six months eating Doritos and sitting on the couch telling me I need to do better at X. You know, it was that that was that was encouraging to me too, you know. Oh yeah, I bet, I bet that's awesome. Uh, you know, and you also, you know, it sounds like you've traveled quite a bit too. And just to, like, maybe like, I want, I'd love to touch on that just kind of briefly, because we've been talking a lot uh, on the podcast recently about, you know, traveling while paralyzed and kind of yeah. the, the, some of the pitfalls to that. And, uh, um, you know, what, what has your experience been like? Have you had any chairs damaged or anything, any, any of your equipment damaged, uh, traveling around? Um, so with 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 everything, right? Something I learned quick, uh, and especially when I'm with my, just my wife and I going somewhere, it's one thing. With the kids, it's different. Um, to me, as a dad, uh, you're either you're either a positive influence to a situation or a negative. You know, you're either a liability or someone that. Someone can count on the situation. Um, so the first flight with the kids, I learned that I hated the aisle chair. Uh, but I also learned that my wheelchair was small enough. If I flew business class, I could fit in the first couple aisles of the chair and just transfer into my seat, being a manual wheelchair user. Oh, wow. So so that was the big one. We um, flew Delta the first handful of times. The reason we did it is because they have a closet in the front of the plane that the manual wheelchairs fit in. It's there for manual wheelchairs. Um, so we, we, you know, we take the cushion off, take the wheels off, those go in the overhead compartment, and the wheelchair itself stays on board. Uh, there's actually a law that was passed in the 70s, way before ADA and all, all this stuff, that mandates planes are supposed to be able to store manual wheelchairs on board. Reason I know this is because we flew JetBlue. We've, we've flown Delta over a dozen times and I've never had an issue. 
check check in, let them know we're going to wheelchair. It's going to go in the closet. They let us board before everybody. Um, never an issue. We've flown JetBlue four times, uh, and every time it's been a night. They are supposed to, if a plane, JetBlue's planes are retrofitted, uh, oh. so they don't have a closet. And my understanding is if they don't have a closet, the last row is supposed to be left empty for wheelchairs. Oh, wow. Every time we've flown on JetBlue, the flight's been sold out. Uh, so actually, we went on vacation recently, um, and we were the bad guys, delayed the plane, got a couple of people kicked off the plane because uh, I was adamant that my chair was going on board. It was the law. Uh, a lady for JetBlue showed up, an advocate, and actually informed me that JetBlue had broken two wheelchairs just that day. And to keep my foot on the ground, um, you know, and and my chair ended up being on the plane. Uh, and my, you know, we store the wheels in the seat in the overhead compartment. So if I had any advice to anybody, it would just be fly Delta because it's super easy if you're a manual uh -huh. wheelchair. So, you yeah. know, we touch base like a week early, let them know that. There's going to actually, I think when we buy the tickets, we fill it out online that the dimensions of the chair, and all that stuff. And it, it, it hasn't been an issue. It hasn't been an issue at all. Well, I um, think I think what you just described, too, is really important for people to remember that you have to be your own advocate. Right. In this yeah. situation, they're going to try to get away with whatever they can in a lot of situations. So if you know, you really have to. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, it, I think they just don't understand. What yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're not, right. I'm sure they're not doing show, it maliciously, right? It's just, yeah, we, it's, they don't know. We show up in Florida and you're missing a caster, you know, like we, they don't get it, you know. Yeah. Um, recent flight, we go to leave Logan Airport and the kid comes over and says, you know, we touched base a week before, not an issue. Your chair is going to go on the plane. We show up at the gate. Um, then it was the person who had boarded the plane before our flight. And they said, I'll let the next person know, but when they come up, come talk. to So the gentleman gets there and we, you know, we're hours early for the flight just because we're terrified about the chair. Uh, you know, the chair's going to go on board. <clears throat> he says, yeah, no problem. Now there's people everywhere in the terminal and he comes over uh, and not in a quiet voice, lets my wife and myself know that he's going to have to throw one of these people off the plane if my wheelchair's on board. But I'm not trying to be a pain in your ass. I just, you know, I, if this thing shows up damaged, what am I doing? Sitting on the floor for the next week and a half? Yeah. It's it's going, you guys told me it could go on the plane. It's going on the plane. That's why, you know. Uh, and he came back like three times in a not so quiet voice to announce to everybody that someone was going to have to get bounced. Uh, it, like it just wasn't fault. cool. It wasn't cool. Yeah. It was my fault. I was the bad guy. I'm the, you know, um, Give me a break. and I'm sorry. I just, you know, maybe I am the bad guy for, but it, no, <laughs> you know, what am I going to, yeah, I'm with a... my family, dude, you know? No. Yeah. Um, and then that's when someone from JetBlue showed up and, and she, you know, she wasn't, she was actually a little overboard, but I, I took it at the time, you know, I mean, um, no, we're supposed we bought we broke two planes already. I mean, two wheelchairs already today. She told me, "Your yeah. your chair's going on the plane." 
Wow. Yeah. I, that's that, this is like great information for anybody yeah. to, to know, I think too. So I'm, I'm so thankful that you were able to, cause I had no idea that that was even a, a rule or that, you know, Delta had these clauses. I wish I, yeah. I wish I wrote it down. She's the one who told us was, you know, this is before ADA and stuff. All planes are supposed to be able to carry. I don't want to say a, but at least one manual wheelchair on board. If there isn't a closet on the plane, it has to go in the back row. Wow. That's you got to notify, you can't notify him at the gate. I think you got to give him 24, 48 hours or something like that. Um, but this actually happened a year or two ago to us. So we asked JetBlue, well, moving forward, how can we prevent this from happening? And they said there would be, you know, a questionnaire for us to fill out or something. So they'd know there was going to be a chair on board and they wouldn't sell the plane out. We never saw a question. We called them a couple weeks ahead of time, a month ahead of time, a couple weeks ahead of time, and it was never an issue until we showed up at the gate, you know, and found out the plane was sold out, your chair's getting tagged and going under the plane. Wow. That's that's just, amazing. That I mean, yeah. yeah. Thank, thank God you um, found that information out, too, because that's yeah. super useful for everybody, I think, in this but situation. So Delta. I'm a Delta guy from now on. It's never been an issue, this, you know. We'll, yeah. we'll sit in the first like eight or nine rows, or I mean, I'll, you know, it's. You, have you flown the whole aisle chair thing? I have <laughs> not. I have not yeah, done that yet. I mean, uh, it. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, but Delta Delta is the ones that are going to be uh, getting these new like fold up kind of a, a you know adaptive seats so that people can stay in their power chairs even while they're. Yeah, on. I saw that. How yeah. awesome is that? That's going to be incredible. So yeah, it sounds yeah. like Delta. It sounds like Delta is a little more on our side than, than most of these. They've uh, never been an issue. I, you know, the couple of times we've had flight attendants huff and puff about it is because I think they have a backpack in the closet now, and making making them move their backpack or you know their suitcase or whatever. But for the most part, it's you know we're on the plane before everybody. And sorry, you're going to move your backpack so I can put my wheelchair in there. You know, God forbid, right? Yeah. You know, but oh, wow. Delta's always been easy peasy, you know? Yeah, that, that's good to know. Definitely great information there, Rob. Uh, and then, you know, my last question for you um, really is just, uh, you know, I've in it, you know, without trying to, I think I've had like four or five guests in the last couple months on from the Boston area. Uh, and it seems like the, the spinal cord community out there is really strong. Um, how have you, have you been able to interact with, uh, with a lot of the other folks out there um, in your area up to this uh, point? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I it, from my, what I've dealt with the last four years, I would say the spinal cord injury community in general is awesome. I've met some people from the other side of the country that I know are an Instagram or an email message away from help me out. Mm -hmm. um, but Boston, even more so the Kelly brush foundation you brought up is in Vermont. So just a couple hours North of Boston. Um, when I was in Spalding, I met a, a gentleman by the name of Dave, who we call him the mayor of spinal cord town. He's in a wheelchair, been in a chair for 30 something years and he works works up at Spalding. He invited me to a party at his house. Um, my wife, a couple months post-injury, first time really leaving the house with my wife. Uh, 
didn't want to say no. Super uncomfortable going there, you know, just being a newer chair guy. Uh, I went in, there was a dozen or so guys in chairs and girls in chairs. Um, at the time, I thought I was going to set the world on fire, not knowing anything about the spinal cord community, you know, and everybody there had an awesome story. You know, I've done, you know, doctors, lawyers, Ironman world champions, so, you know, guy, there was two guys there, the New York marathon was the next day. There was two guys there that were leaving to drive to New York to push the marathon route in their manual wheelchairs at like four in the morning. They did it every year. Wow. I was like, all right, well, I got a lot to live up to, you know? Um, so yeah, the community's around here. Great. I, my mentor who has turned out to be one of my best friends is the next town over. He's the guy I keep on speaking of that's won a couple Ironmans, you know, got his MBA, had an awesome, awesome career. Um, the awesome athletic career, awesome business career. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of people around here. It's awesome. The community around here is awesome. Oh, that's incredible, man. Well, yeah. You know, Rob Costa, I can't thank you enough, my man, for for being willing to come on and, and share your story and, and give us, you know, we got a lot of good information from you that I'm sure is going to go a long way to, to helping some other folks in their kind of journeys and recoveries from this, this crazy injury that we all are dealing with and uh, <laughs> never ends. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It never ends. I greatly appreciate you having me on. Yeah. You know? Thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. That was Rob Costa. I want to thank him again for being willing to share his story and just being so open and, and uh, about everything he's kind of been through since the accident, you know, that, that left him paralyzed. And like, I just, yeah, man, like having your, like his whole family was at the track when he got injured too. I know. You know and that whole, that's that, that, what, what kind of got me was that. What if moment, like, what if I didn't sit up? Oh, what right. Okay. Right. You know, did that, did that do something that made me, the way I am yeah, but, yeah. you know um, I, I you know I don't think you can live in what ifs and I he said that too um, but you know the thing that I really liked about him is sharing his stories about travel because we just had um, yeah. Charlotte from Chicago the travel and he on top of that like yeah. some of his travels have been to uh, get stem cell uh, injections which, you know, is obviously a controversial topic in the United States. Um, I think that people should be able to do it, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But, um, you know, he talked about traveling to Minnesota first because he was going to go to Panama, uh, but then COVID shut everything down. So then he ended up going to Minnesota and uh, doing a, a session there, I guess, for, for a week or so and then coming back. And um, he said it sounded like he had really good results and, and those were using his own stem cells. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was interesting. And then he did go to Panama. He said he didn't really have the greatest results there, but um, then. But, but go, that wasn't his own stem cells. So either. Right. That was uh, what the umbilical or uh, was it embryonic stem cells. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, he. And, and that's such a thing. Like, I remember in Friday Night Lights, the TV show Friday Night Lights, uh, where the, the main character, you know, gets injured and uh, him and his buddies are going to go to Mexico to go get him stem cells. And it's then they decide not to at the last minute. And I'm just like, man, why didn't you? I'm like, guess I guess it could go terribly wrong or something. But at the same time, it's like, let's roll the dice. Yeah. 
I don't know. But, yeah, that, that was interesting. I was happy he was able to share. That was his, uh, and his, like, talking about his road racing as well as hand cycling um, and how that's such a freeing experience for him, too, you know. Like, he, he the guy, we just, we talked about so much stuff, man, that was interesting, I, I thought. It was really cool. It was really cool. And that him and his wife have done a couple marathons, like a few more than a couple marathons together, I believe. Um, and he's on like three or four Boston marathons, uh, hand cycling. And again, the funny thing is that him, him and his wife had just decided they were going to run a marathon. Yeah. He said right before his accident. And so he, they were just, you know, in training and uh, trying to do do all that. So. It's a, it was you know. a great interview. I mean, it seems like he has a great family, great kids, you know, daughter and his two sons. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's really cool. Just that great they have family. A farm. Like, yeah, they have a little, you know, little farm thing yeah. going with the goats. And, well, and, it, and his construction company was able yeah. to stay afloat because his dad was able to, you know, kind of step in and, and start picking up some of his, the slack he left with. Yeah you know, going through rehab and everything um, until he was able to get back in there. And, and his brother, I believe, too, is helping yeah. out. And, and now he's he's doing kind of more of the record-keeping and stuff for it than, you the know. ugly side. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I know, like, a bunch of construction you know, guys in, in that field, and I couldn't imagine them stepping, you know, take, having to go to, to being just in the office or yeah. whatever and not being out there working with – with the other pe- with the other guys and whatnot, so and he mentioned that in in, in the interview as well. So yeah, but I was really encouraged by um, you know one of the things is he talked about the travel right, and then that nineteen seventy yeah that's that was that crazy up. too yeah yeah we haven't had a chance to look that up right yet. about the uh, that that there's a uh, closet where where uh, wheelchairs at least because you know like those wheelchairs break the manual yeah. wheelchairs break down so much so the seat should be able to sit in there and if not then they have to leave the back row of the plane open right so that a wheelchair can fit back there i, I had no idea yeah and delta airlines yeah right? shout was, out delta yeah exactly so yeah it was pretty cool. forefront of this whole thing again yeah. man so yeah good for them glad they're uh glad they're doing their part yeah. So, yeah, um, you know, I thought it was – I had a great time speaking with Rob, getting, you know, hearing his story and just kind of shoot. It felt like, you know, a lot of times these things just feel like you're shooting the shit with somebody, you know. You're not – it's not anything serious. And uh, But, yeah, you know, the thing that I really liked about it is um, his accent. The Boston, <laughs> the Boston accent. accent. I love the Boston accent. I love the Boston accent. accent. It came out a few times a little stronger than other times, but yeah, it's really cool. No, like yeah, he's yeah. Rob's a good dude. I'm. I was really happy that we were able to have him on the show, and um, you know, got got another great guest already set up for next week with uh, Gary Dawson. He's out in the UK, um, doing some some great things out there, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm anxious for uh, everybody to hear that one too. So. Uh, yeah, we will, I guess, be back next week, Ricardo. And yeah, sounds good. And thank you so much. Rob on his next race coming up. And absolutely, absolutely. We'll be following along in his uh, in his races and everything. And and yeah, man, hope he hope he does well. So yeah. Anyway, thank you again, Ricardo. I know I mentioned a few weeks ago when you weren't here about all the uh, the work you've been doing down in my uh, 
in, in my downstairs apartment after these uh, psychos left up, glued 63 puzzles to the wall, and, uh, you know, you and Uncle Dave and James have just uh, really transformed that place for me, and I can't thank you enough. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure, Jeremy. Well, you're, you're the man. Oh, and it was just Ricardo's birthday on Monday. Oh. Let's not forget that. Happy birthday. How old are you this year? 27? 26. Oh, 26. My bad. I don't mean to age you. Yeah. Oh, no, 62. 62. <laughs> it's a big 6-2. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday, Ricardo. We love you. Uh, thank love you for you everything too, you're doing, man. And uh, we will be back, everybody, next week. Please like, rate, review, and share the podcast. Uh, and we appreciate you all for listening. Talk to you next time.